You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Bears Illustrated podcast. I'm Pranay Malampati alongside Garrett Ross. And we've got a couple of cool topics to dive into today, starting with how this new Big 12 schedule is going to look once Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF join. And we have a 14-team conference for a couple of years. But first, how you doing, Garrett? How are you? I'm good, man. Uh, you know, it's just been busy. A uh, lot going on. A lot of, to digest across the, the world of college athletics. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on with these topics. I'm ready to hit them, man. Absolutely, yeah. So, first of all, I wanna I wanna describe this this proposal by Tim Fitzgerald from the Kansas State twenty four seven Sports page. He he's put out this article proposing a certain way that the Big Twelve schedule should be when it has fourteen teams. Um, so essentially, first he took out Texas and OU and separated them, and then took the other twelve teams and. Put them into three pods potentially the pods that we'll see going down the line once texas and OU leave so one of them would be the four new teams and another one would be the three former southwest conference teams plus west virginia and then the other one would be the former big eight teams so the 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 first key point is that he proposed the four new teams each play texas and oklahoma in both seasons so that they get the most exposure possible when it comes to just getting eyeballs, because Texas and OU obviously get the most eyeballs. Um, and then you'd have basically groups A and B, which is the teams that are already in the conference, the hateful eight. They'd be playing most of their games within each other, and they would play either two games against Texas or two games against Oklahoma, depending on whether they were a former Southwest Conference or big or big A team. Um, and another key point there is that in Baylor's case, Baylor would not play Oklahoma those two years, which means if this were to be how it went down, November's game against Oklahoma may be Baylor's last time playing OU for a long time. I Look, I like the idea of the pod system. Um, I, I, I first heard about the pod system really when the SEC was looking at bringing Oklahoma and Texas in. And they were talking about how once that happened, they would – divvy it up and i thought one of the, the the funny things with that pod system would have had uh a&m i mean texas and oklahoma joining back up with arkansas and a&m the whole irony and all of that situation so i thought that was funny but i thought it, i was really intrigued by the pod system and i liked the the setup of it um, obviously there's some details i'm really not too in tune with regarding like how it plays out in the end like how you find well i guess with it, the championship games going away I guess that doesn't really matter about as far as who's coming out of each pod to, to play in a championship sense. So I, I like it. I've come up with my own pod system. We can go over it a little bit, but I, I, I would like to see the pod more so than a conference situation just because it's unique. It's different. Yeah. Pods would be really cool. I mean, and if it were up to me, Texas and OU would not play. I, I think I would like the Big 12 to get rid of the Big Tw- the Red River rivalry for those two years. But we know that's not happening. It's not. but And that's another thing. Like with his – I think it's a really unique proposal that he's putting out there. I do not like the idea, though, 
of having the new teams coming in, play Texas and Oklahoma, especially playing them twice, because I feel like there's it's such a risk reward situation. Um, but the reward, I think the the Big Twelve runs a bigger chance of running into the risk than the reward. Because I think Texas and Oklahoma would have a better opportunity of kind of like beating those teams. And then that's the last thing you want. The last thing you want if you're the Big 12 is for those four new teams to come in, get the brakes beat out of by Oklahoma and Texas, and then them chuck the deuce and ride off into the sunset. That's not what you want to happen. I actually stand on the other side of that fence. I don't think the risk is too high because... First of all, just getting those eyeballs. Most of the fans in Big 12 country are going to watch Texas and Oklahoma games. And there's also Texas and OU fans that aren't in Texas or Oklahoma. So I think that would just create so much exposure that would help with the Big 12 moving forward and with people taking these new teams seriously. And say they were to lose to Texas and OU. I mean, what what really is the risk in your eyes? Because, like, to me, it's just they lose, but then Texas and OU are gone, and they're going to the SEC, so they thought of themselves as top dogs already. I think it makes the, the conference, who, in my opinion, is already on the brink of hanging on to being relevant in the, the mass scheme of the Power Fives. I feel like simply because they, they will no longer have traditional blue blood faces – you're going to see a situation with Lincoln Riley out at USC if he turns that thing around quickly where the Pac-12, like the Pac-12 has really been the odd man out if you look at this. I feel like the Pac-12 is going to use the brand power of USC and Oregon to jump the Big 12. Um, And I feel like if you have a situation where you're already teetering with because of those your two main brands are leaving and the teams you're bringing in get annihilated by them, that's really not going to help. That's fair. I I understand that. But I just feel like there's a higher chance that maybe at worst you go 40-60, like you lose 60% of your games. Because I don't think Cincinnati is getting swept by Texas. I don't think UCF and BYU are getting swept by Texas. So I guess part of it is also I just don't think Texas is going to beat these teams. But I want to hear... I want to hear the concept that you have. What What's your proposal? So I, I, I was looking at this earlier, and I came up with what I would do for, regarding my pods. And then I looked at it from if the Big 12 decides to go into divisions, do you want to keep it north and south, or do you want to break it into east and west? So I put in scenarios for each of those. So my pod system, what I did was I tried to, I tried to look at the map and see – which teams were geographically aligned the best work this so i i went pod one byu kansas k-state and iowa state both most of these teams are further north than everybody else and i know you can make a case for oklahoma state and why and i understand why he would want in the the article you're referring to why he would want to put those old Mm -hmm. big eight teams to keep those rivalries together so i understand that aspect um my pod two is really exactly like his reuniting uh, those old Southwest Conference teams with Baylor Tech, Houston, and TCU in the mix. And then my pod three, I took West Virginia, Central Florida, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma State. Now, Oklahoma State was a tricky one, and I really did this simply because I wanted to give that one some more power, like like grassroots. Like they needed something to hold on to, right? So send Oklahoma State over there. Let them be the fixture that draws the eyes in. And, and let those other schools build around it. Um, that is my pod system. Before we go into the division, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? 
So I like that idea. Um, I obviously like the fact that Baylor would be playing three three of its former rivals from the Southwest Conference. Um, I kind of want to see Baylor and BYU in the same pod so we mm-hmm. get that, that Baptist, Mormon, like that Christian right. rivalry going. Um, it's just going to be hard to fit that in because it, it just makes the most sense to have the four Texas teams in one pod. Yeah, I mean, if you would have brought in like like SMU, then you could have all just had like this – this whole religion. <laughs> we'll just have the pot of religion over here. We'll just go at it with that. But you know, I, yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely the unique thing, right? When you when you throw BYU into this is is because for long the longest time growing up in Waco or around Waco was you always heard about Baylor Notre Dame. That, that that's the game everybody wanted. They wanted the Catholics and the Baptists. It's like you couldn't get that, but we're gonna get the Mormons in here. We're gonna go at it like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man, that's true. But okay, um, so, go ahead. No, you got it. I was gonna say with the divisions I had, so it was essentially the same format. Uh, looking at the map, obviously, um, but my south and it's gonna get kind of tricky. But my south division would be Baylor, TCU, Houston, UCF, Texas Tech, and Oklahoma State. And I, in the north, you would do BYU, Cincy, West Virginia, Kansas, K State, and Iowa State. It's you know it's pretty split in mm-hmm. the sense. Um, yeah. The east and west one I did, and I really I feel like I might like this one a little more. Um, but for my west division, and you'll like this because in my west division I, I have BYU, Baylor, Tech, TCU, Oklahoma State, and Houston, and in the east that leaves K State, Kansas, Iowa State, Cincinnati. UCF and West Virginia. Yeah, that's my favorite because you got the four Texas teams, then you have BYU for the for the Christian rivalry, and then Oklahoma State, who who might be the other the other top dog in the Big Twelve. Um, right. That's probably where I would lean if we were going divisions, but um, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with the pods or the divisions. The conference title game might stay. It might go. It's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see. Do you like the idea of the the conference title game? Do you like do you do you like how did this? I know a lot of people. When you look at the round robin format, you either love it or hate it. Um, mm-hmm. What side of that are you on? And do you like the idea of ha- where we're at right now with the addition of the championship game, or would you like to see that go away? See, I actually I have a more traditional view on this. I like the divisions, and I like well, I like the Big Twelve championship game. I don't know if that's traditional or not, but I I like the idea of having two set divisions it just makes things more concrete it has it creates a better chance to have more rivalries because you're playing more of the same teams every year and i think rivalries are just such a big part of college football um and then the big 12 championship game it just it gets more eyeballs on the big 12 because people are going to tune into the big 12 championship game even if they're not big 12 fans whereas they might not tune into these conference to these regular season games um and particularly for the big 12 which is in a obviously a big transition i think that's really important that's a really good point and i'm going to be interested to see once this all comes together and if they decide to keep the championship game do you keep it at jerry world or with everything being spread out do you kind of do what you had to do with basketball in a sense and place it somewhere more centralized in kansas city that's something to keep an eye and i don't think you'll ever see the football game up there simply because of the weather but that's something to keep an eye on Absolutely. There, there's a lot that we're going to we're gonna have to decide moving forward. Um, but our next segment will be about 
college basketball and whether Baylor Kansas can become the premier rivalry in the college basketball world. So tune into that on the next segment of the Bears Illustrated podcast. Welcome back into the Bears Illustrated podcast. On Thursday, CBS Sports released a an article with their last college basketball power rankings, conference power rankings of the season. As expected, the Big 12 was at number one. Six teams made the NCAA tournament. Two teams got one season, including Baylor. Kansas obviously won the national championship. And the Big 12 has, has been really good for, for probably four years now. Um, and particularly Baylor and Kansas have been dominating the Big 12. They've been on top of college basketball for three years. Obviously, each has a national championship. Three years ago, there was no tournament, but each likely would have gotten one seed. And now with UNC Duke both losing their coaches within the last just over a year, Coach K obviously retired this year, Roy Williams the year before, that has been the premier rivalry in college basketball for a long time. But now it might be time for another set of teams to take the stage. So, Garrett, what do you think the chances are that Baylor, Kansas, can take that spot? Mm. I don't think you can. I don't think you can pass North Carolina Duke. That's just something, man. I think that would be like Baylor, Oklahoma surpassing Texas, Oklahoma. I mean, Baylor, Oklahoma State surpassing Texas, Oklahoma. Once the new Big Twelve comes, like as the new rivalry, um, I I feel like with with the with the, that rivalry so embedded through so many decades, there's so much there's there's so many players, there's so many former coaches. Hell, you have former players who are coaches now in the in the on both teams. You know, you have so I don't think that rivalry is going anywhere. Um, I think it might, and honestly, it, it might even pick up now. If you look at North Carolina essentially returning their whole roster, and you know, I know Matt Myers' name has been floated out there as possibly an option for them addition for them to pick up um, to replace Brady Manick. Uh, I just, man, I I think you can that Baylor Kansas is a situation where if they continue on the trajectory where they have been the past few years, it can turn into a really special rivalry. Um, I, I think it could, it could get up to, to where that's when you're always talking about, um, or you want to keep an eye on, but I don't think it'll ever get, get to a point where it's rivalry or even coming close to Duke in North Carolina. I don't think it even comes close to those old big East rivalries with like St. John's and Georgetown and stuff. Interesting. So, so you touched on this a little bit, but when you think of the top rivalries in college basketball, like you said, a lot of it has to do with history and it also has to do with regionality. UNC and Duke are what, 30 minutes from each yeah. other. So you think of rivalries like Kentucky Louisville, you think of Indiana Purdue, Kansas, Kansas State even. And even when one of those teams isn't good, it's still a rivalry because the schools don't like each other. And UNC Duke has been on top of that because they're so great and they have that history and regionality. So in the, on those terms, Baylor, Kansas, it won't even pass Kansas, Kansas State as 
the top Kansas rivalry because those those two schools have something embedded. It's just a heated rivalry with with a lot of passion. But I do think there's another way to look at it. I think that the question we have to ask is, which game will be the biggest rivalry on the national stage? Which two teams, when they play each other, will college basketball fans circle on their calendar before the season and take out time to watch every single year? And when it comes to the national stage, UNC Duke has been that game for a long time because they've been so good. They've already got an embedded rivalry and they had probably the top two coaches in college basketball. But now those two coaches are gone. And when you have those two coaches gone, there's that you lose some of that luster. So I think the door is, is open and, and Baylor Kansas in my eyes has every quality to have the chance to take that number one rivalry on the national stage. They have, now they're both atop the Big 12, which is right now the best conference in college basketball and, and could continue to be that. They each just won a national championship and and seem like they're going to stay on that track to at least be nat- contenders year in and year out. And they have arguably the top two coaches in college basketball. So that's why I think it's possible. That's true. Um, I, I just feel like, well, it definitely helps that Texas and Oklahoma are leaving for the simple fact of the the Chris Beard factor, right? I think if Texas was to stay in the Big 12, that rivalry, that connection, that grudge from Texas Tech to Texas would kind of surpass that, the the, the Baylor-Kansas State. But that's one aspect that you don't have to worry about. That's gone. What I will say, though, is – and. I feel like this is probably because they got lost in the shuffle last year due to really not yeah, – I would say this on their own fault, but uh, Oklahoma State is still there. Oklahoma, Mike Boynton is still there, and he has that program, in my opinion, on the verge of being the next Big 12 school to win a national championship. That really? dude – can coach. He gets players in there that want to play for him. He has an established culture. Scott Drew has hell beaten Mike Boynton coach teams. Go back and look at Scott uh, at what the Boynton uh, Oklahoma State teams have done against Coach Drew. He has hell with the Cowboys. So I think that's another factor you're going to have to keep in the mix team. because you could end up in a situation where. You have like a, a trifecta of rivalry in a sense with those three teams just beating up on each other. And I would love to say that Texas Tech would be in that in that mix as well. But there's so much weird stuff coming out of Lubbock with the players leaving and transferring out. I, I'm not sure what's going on up there. That's something to keep an eye on. But it, and another thing, I mean, they just, there's just so many great coaches in here. But we'll stick with that. I just feel like. Oklahoma State might have something to say in that Baylor Kansas thing. That's really interesting. I didn't. I haven't really thought of Oklahoma State as one of those teams that could be atop the Big Twelve. I um, you obviously think of Texas Tech. Houston's going to be here. That's and maybe a, that's, a year. Yeah. Houston's going to be a huge contender. Um, Cincinnati, BYU are good basketball schools. So there's a lot of good schools. Um, but I think that. I'm not saying that Baylor Kansas is going to be number one or that it's even likely, but I'm saying that 
if the two schools stay atop the Big 12 and are year in, year out contenders for the national title, which if Bill Self and Scott Drew are as good as we think they are and as they've shown they are recently, well, Bill Self over a long period of time, at that point, I feel like college basketball fans would would look at that game and be like, that's the game that I want to watch. That's the Those are the two games of the season. I think Baylor needs to win a few more of them in a row against Kansas to really solidify it, really put a spark in it. If you go back and look, man, Baylor is, what, 8-30 all-time against Kansas, and they haven't beat them more than one time in a, in a row in a season. Yeah, they haven't swept them. So I need it, – it's it's – you're going to have two of the, the brightest coaches. Kansas is obviously a blue blood. And I feel like Baylor is in that second tier where it's like the Villanovas, the Illinois, those really good teams who have uh, in Indiana, who have a championship under their belt. Well, Indiana is more so of a blue blood, but they've just kind of fallen off. Um, but I feel like they're still right there. And I feel like, they need to take another step and getting more consistent wins against Kansas and really establishing that as a rival. Like for like to me, I think that's Baylor is looking at that as they could be a rival. I don't think that's ever even cost Kansas's mind right now because they're so confident. I feel like if Baylor, they need to go in and really sweep them a couple times and just make life miserable for the Jayhawks. Uh, and that's when we could really start diving into it. That's fair. I just I feel like Baylor Kansas is something like if you look at Arizona UCLA, like if if Arizona had won a national championship, then it's like Arizona UCLA could be that next that next big rivalry, and that's how I see Baylor Kansas. But if if UNC Duke does fall off a little bit, who do you think could take that spot? Oh man. I- I I, th- I think oof. off a of traditional rivals. I mean, I, I think you would have to cons- if it fell off. I just don't. I have such a hard time seeing it fall off. But if it ever to what was to do that, and Kansas and Baylor could, I could definitely see where you're going with that. Could turn into it. I think you would have to look at some already established rivalries. And you need maybe look at that Kentucky Louisville. If Louisville gets a little better, if Kentucky gets a little better, um, even though they're not in the same conference, huh? Even though they're not in the same conference, yeah, because that's it, it doesn't you want to you're talking about just conference rivals, no, no, but like they have to play each other. I feel like oh, they play often. every year, they're gonna play Louisville and Kentucky, gonna play every year. That's true. I, I think it's a little bit different when you play home and home every year. That's true, too. I'll say, let's stick with, well, then in-conference rivals. Um, I, I agree with you on the UCLA and Arizona thing. Um, I think, yeah, then, then if you're looking at that, I think you would have to throw that uh, the Texas, I mean, Kansas and Baylor into it. I'm trying to think of some of the ones right. in the SEC. Um, Alabama-Auburn, if they both went to Natty. Yeah, they, yeah. Um, Kentucky really has has controlled that for so long. It's hard to yeah. to think. 
you know, I know you would probably say like Kentucky, Tennessee. That's a that's a rivalry in there as well. But um, yeah, the the ACC there's there's really I think Florida State and Miami have had those opportunities. They've just never lived up to the hype. Um, North Carolina, North Carolina State, I feel, are one of those very similar to Kansas, Kansas State things where. North Carolina is like the Kansas. They've owned this, the rivalry, but you can't get away from that because you're joined at the hip. Um, yeah. Man, that's, that's a difficult question to really think about. And, that, I, I, and I agree with you on that. If you're going by that and you're looking at it like that, you definitely have to consider the Baylor-Kansas. So I, I definitely agree with that. Um, that's interesting. I, I can't think of another one in conference that could match, right, that's exactly. match it, though. I think that's exactly. just something that's so special. That's mm-hmm. like Yankees, Red Sox. Like, you know, that's yeah. it's just so special that it's hard to even compare. Like in football, yeah, you've exactly. got multiple ones, right? Like you could say you could say make a make an argument for Ohio State, Michigan. You could make an argument for Texas, Oklahoma, or you know, so on and so on. Auburn, Indiana, Alabama. Purdue, Indiana Purdue might come the closest in basketball. It if could. Indiana finally reclaims that blue blood status. That's the thing, but though, man. Purdue has down for, they've been down for so long. And Purdue has such a good stranglehold right now on on just on Indiana in general. I mean, I mean, Notre Dame's there, but I don't really consider that in, in the same realm of what we're talking about. But yeah, that's one to keep in mind. But I feel like that's one where. Indiana's so far behind, it's going to take forever for them to catch up. Yeah. Just their history might make it easier if they put together a few seasons in a row. They could. But, yeah, I mean, so 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 UNC Duke stayed on top. I think, I think UNC Duke is forever the greatest basketball. I don't think anything will even come close to it. Well, it's kind of unfortunate. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, interesting discussion. Thanks for tuning in, guys. And uh, after the break, you'll hear Garrett go on the Cover 3 podcast and break down Baylor football with Bud Elliott. So stay tuned for that. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, You transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, Roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
talking Sugar Bowl champs. That's right, Baylor. Uh, and to help us talk Baylor, we're going to go ahead and bring on Garrett Ross of BearsIllustrated.com. Garrett, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me. And, and I'll always enjoy reading y'all's coverage over there at Bears Illustrated, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Uh, really nice year for Baylor last year, 12-2 and two overall. I think the Vegas power ratings had them like 15th, which not a huge disagreement, I, I guess, with 12-2. With, with and two. I think most everybody can agree they were you know, somewhere between a, a really good to, you know, to elite-level team. Um, I had them a little bit lucky in, in terms of like the close game stuff, 5-1 and one in games that were within a touchdown in the final five minutes. But you know, to their credit, they, they did close that out. I, I imagine that the, the mood in Waco has got to be pretty damn good. Oh, yeah, it's, it's really good. The thing is going to be how can you back it up, right? Like most of your games last year, the big key games, you had the benefit of playing them at home in McLean Stadium. You know, this year you're going to have to go to Norman. you got to go to Provo as well as Austin and Texas Tech. Um, so that's going to be the challenge this year is being able to to really control the, the games away from home and get those wins. No doubt about it. Uh, we'll go ahead and start here on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, last year, 41st in efficiency. Uh, so definitely the, the lesser of the two units between the offense and defense. But it, it held its own. I felt like at times it got better throughout the year. The, the, the new scheme under Jeff Grimes uh, I thought was a, a real improvement over the prior year with, with you know, basically simplifying, going a little more zone and, and uh, something the players could buy into more. Uh, we also saw uh, Dave Aranda not punt in opponent territory nearly as much as he seemed to trust his offense. I was very worried about him as a head coach after 2020, uh, after 2020, given all that, but it felt like now that he has some confidence, maybe he's uh, a little more progressive in that area. And today's perfect timing for this episode because it looks like it's going to be shaping at quarterback and they're going to let Bohannon know and, and give him a chance to, uh, to transfer out, right? Yeah, so I think the news really came down last night. Um, if you go back and look throughout the course of the season, as far as spring practice goes, it was really a close battle. Um, I think what it really comes down to is Shapin's command of the offense and his ability to stretch the field. You know, Gary is a, is a good quarterback, really, when it comes down to dumping it uh, down to your tight ends, which is very beneficial to have guys like, you know, Sims and Dabney that you can rely on. Uh, but he really struggled stretching the fields at times last year. And he was really reliant, in my opinion, too much on Tyquan Thornton. Those were two guys who hit campus at the same time. They were able to get a lot of reps in outside of practice and they just were comfortable. But there was times last year where he had opportunities to spread the field and RJ Sneed might be behind the coverage, but he just was comfortable going back to Thornton. And I think that's really what the difference is. Baylor wants to open this offense up this year and kind of take some of the pressure off of their running uh, running backs. Interesting. That's where I was going to go next. So, you know, Shapin, I felt like had a really high completion percentage and obviously, you know, five to nothing touchdown interception ratio is that's what you're looking for. Uh, but a relatively, you know, low, you know, given that uh, yards per attempt. So pushing the ball down the field is going to be interesting. I, I have, I guess, some questions about this offense because you know, Smith and Ebner are gone at running back. Thornton, Sneed, and Estrada are all gone at receiver, right? So kind of like, that's tough. Anybody who had more than 20 targets last year um, is gone, but yet I see an offensive line that returns a whole lot. So I, I don't know. I, off off the rip, I'm like, this offense is going to be worse this year. But now I'm like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe if the offensive line can carry them and they can have more success pushing down the field, as you're indicating, who, who do you think steps up for them at those skill positions? That, that's an awful lot to lose in one offseason. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have a lot of young guys. I think if you look at your experience, you look for a guy like Gavin Holmes on the outside as receiver. 
Uh, but this is a guy who's also coming off of two ACLs. So, you know, you never know what you're going to get in that aspect. Uh, but look for a guy like Monterey Baldwin. This is a young kid from the from the area, the Central Texas area, that really had a breakout. And he looked really good during the spring game as well. Uh, and he got some reps last year. Uh, but you could also look for uh, a guy like uh, Javon Gibson to come out. Uh, this is a young guy as well, but he shines and showed some promise stretching the field. And he had uh, him and Cameron Bonner is another guy to keep an eye on as well. Shapin had a good connection with both of them guys in the spring game. Uh, it's just a matter of being able to do that on a consistent basis once you get into live action. For sure. Uh, so last year, Smith, Ebner, and Bohannon combined for uh, – Damn near 500 rushing attempts. Uh, that That's a ton of your offensive plays go, going to three guys with their legs. Uh, I assume they won't run Shapin nearly as much as they ran Bohannon. Is, is there a, a back that they feel good about? Right now, I think you're going to look at a guy like Tay McWilliams to really step up and get a bulk of the carry. So, uh, he did a, a really good job of doing that in the spring game. Um, you're also going to look at a guy like uh, uh, – I'm drawing a blank right. Jordan Jenkins that was coming in. He's a freshman, but this is a guy that you're really wanting to put uh, your team around. He was recruited. He's a bigger back. Uh, you saw some reps from him during the spring game. I think you're going to see him get involved more as well. But those are going to be – and also Squirrel Williams. Squirrel Williams is a guy who Baylor fans have been waiting to see break out since like 2018. Uh, he's been sidelined with a lot of injuries. Uh, but he come out in the spring game and broke loose on multiple touchdowns. Um, he's really fast, elusive. It's a matter of if you can get him healthy. Uh, but that's really where you have the benefit of having that experience in the offensive line that's going to come into play. So the offensive line is, if you're betting on this Baylor offense to be better this year, it's more efficient quarterback play and the offensive line continuing to become a, a really strong unit. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think it definitely helps when you have as many, you have four guys returning on the unit who all had valuable reps last year. Um, and they did a really good job holding their own in the spring game against the Baylor defensive line, who a lot of people are expecting to be really good. I mean, you're bringing back multiple starters across there with TJ Franklin, guys like uh, Apu Aika, who had a big game coming over from LSU last year. Uh, you add Jackson Player out of the transfer portal from Tulsa as well, and you throw him into the mix. They got a lot of talent up in the front of the defensive end, but they struggled getting pressure in the spring game against the offensive line. Interesting. So I let, let's let's go there now to to that defense. Uh, last year, the defense no surprise. Dave Aranda coached team. They were really damn good. Thirteenth in, in total deficient, uh, defensive efficiency. Uh, that front is going to be nasty. I, I I have to think they don't lose anybody, right? No, I mean, that's really going to be the, the staple point of your defense. Uh, and also, you got to count on your linebackers as well. When you bring back a guy like Dylan Doyle uh, in that position, you add Josh White coming over from LSU. And you also have uh, Matt Jones, who he's, he's really got a lot of promise. He's been injured and missed a lot of the spring. But it's definitely going to be your front seven to carry the load for the defense. Are, are they going to? How much will they miss, uh, miss Bernard and Logan at linebacker? Uh, Bernard more so a lot. Um, I think the biggest key off that defense is going to be Jalen Petrie. I, I don't know how you're really going to yeah. be able to replete, replace him. Um, and, and then on the back end, I think you're going to miss JT Woods. Uh, Riley Tejada is a guy that you'll miss as well. But there were some times last year where Tejada got exposed. Um, but I think that's going to be really difficult trying to p replace Bernard. But more so, it's, it's Jalen Petrie that is going to be the biggest loss for that defense. As far as um... – 
the veteran nature of the guys you do have coming back. I, I thought one of the things that impressed me Bader last year was how many different coverages they could run and, and run successfully. And I, I think you saw that in terms of the number of, of pass breakups and, and interceptions that they came down with. They they fooled people oftentimes. Uh, and, and granted, like it's that's kind of what Aranda does. Uh, but it does require a, a certain level of, of intelligence and experience oftentimes with, with those DBs. Do you think they can run as, as much stuff as they ran last year, or are they going to have to not dumb it down, but sort of simplify it a little bit? That's actually a really good question. So Ron Roberts, the defensive coordinator, addressed this a couple of weeks ago, and he said that right now he feels like this unit is far ahead of where they have been up to any point. Now, granted, you're losing a lot of talent, but for him to say that he's confident in that mental makeup that you're talking about. For sure. Um, special teams, no no huge losses, it looks like, right? Uh, other than Edna returning kicks. Yeah, that's going to be difficult. I mean, you're going to have probably look for Squirrel Williams. He's gotten some reps. Armani Winfield as well as another young guy. And Monterey Baldwin, uh, you know, those are some guys that you can probably see back there returning kicks. But Ebner is definitely the biggest loss as far as special teams goes. Do you feel like this team is a uh, is a legitimate contender to, to get back to the Big 12 title game? Or do you feel it's more of kind of like a – a regroup here um i mean look I, we were actually talking about this yesterday on our bears illustrated podcast and i have baylor going eight and four in the regular season and that really goes back to what i was talking to you at first is a lot of the games on the road if you look at last year when you went to tcu uh, that was an you know you weren't expecting chandler morris to go off but at the same time you've got to take care of business right and you weren't able to do that you went up to stillwater in a true road environment and you come away with a nail um but with all of that said, I think there's just too many, too much hurdles to overcome this year. You have the talent, but I need to see you prove that you can win on the road. That's why I have them eight and four. I, I think that's fair. I mean, also in the non-con, uh, you know, Baylor typically typically schedules itself a three and zero. But in, you know, last year they had BYU at home. Now they got to make that return trip to Provo, and that, I feel like that Provo team. Uh, even though I, I, I think you should project Baylor's defense to be uh, quite good again. I'm confident that BYU team is going to score on people, like like and early on, like they bring back a lot uh, offensively. So I, I you, the offense for Baylor is going to have to be able to put up, you think, like at least like a like a 28 spot to to go. Do, oh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and I think that's going to be where we really find out a lot about the secondary because BYU is going to test you. They're going to they're going to yeah. you know try to get you in situations and, and test the back end of that defense. And that's where I'm kind of concerned. I don't know if – I know there's a lot of talent on the team, especially on the back end, but the youth and not having seen those game reps, how does that come out and play? And I think that's going to be the tricky situation when you're up in Provo against BYU. No doubt about it. Garrett Ross, Bears Illustrated. Really appreciate it. Everybody check out the Bears Illustrated podcast as well. Go to bearsillustrated.com if you're a Baylor fan or a Big 12 fan. And, Garrett, enjoy the time. I have to have you back on, on Cover 3 as we preview the season. Thanks, man. appreciate you having me. No doubt. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.